afternoon and welcome to the Girls Who Sell Spotlight podcast, where we talk about everything business to business sales. My name is Heidi Solomon Orlick, and I'm the founder and CEO of Girls Who Sell. At Girls Who Sell, we are not only committed to closing the gender gap in B2B sales, but to building the largest pipeline of diverse, early stage female sales talent. We are more than a company. We are a movement. On today's episode, I'm super excited to introduce you to marketing maven Brandy Starr. As Chief Operating Officer at Tigrita, Brandy helps companies of varying sizes to attract, convert, close, and retain customers using technology. Brandy was voted one of the top 50 women you need to know in MarTech in 2018. She is co-author of the international bestseller, CMO to CRO, the revenue takeover by the next generation executive. When she's not making the magic happen, you can find her on a plane, eating street tacos, or spending time with her family. Brandy, thank you for joining us and welcome to the spotlight. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm thrilled. Um, tacos? Yes, tacos are life. That is my favorite. <laughs> I saw that tagline. So that's so awesome. I know I'm a Mexican food fan myself. So any anything tacos, tacos anytime, anywhere. Um, yes. Why don't we kick it off by, um, I'd love to know a little bit more about your leadership journey in marketing as well as revenue generation roles. Yes. So I have been in marketing for over 20 years. Um, when I started my marketing career, I was actually designing collateral for fax machines. Uh, and now nobody really even uses fax machines anymore. Um, but through the process, I have pretty much been in most areas of marketing. Um, and really, you know, my, my growth in my role has really been where I have been able to focus on strategy and how that strategy aligns to what's happening on the sales side. Um, and so although I am very much, you know, on the, uh, I'm a true marketer at heart, um, but as a marketer, I do believe that we play a key role in the sales process. Like we are, are sort of that, you know, pinch hitter for the sales team to be able to, you know, deliver them a home run. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. I think business happens at the intersection of sales and marketing. Yes, right? But sales and marketing don't always play nice in the same sandbox. So what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, that is always unfortunate. Um, for me, I always put that at the leadership level. Uh, when you have marketing and sales leaders that have different objectives, uh, that's where you run into the challenges. Like I can remember early in my career, I was being measured on lead generation for leads that sales was clearly not incented to sell. So I was spending all this budget, doing all this work. You know, I was killing my number to generate all the leads that are needed. And then the sales team was kind of like, eh, like I'm not even comped on that like, thanks, but no thanks. And so it was like, that was where the disconnect came from because it was almost like the marketing and sales leaders didn't talk. And, you know, you mentioned my book and that is really one of the key premises 
you know, in the book that we believe strongly is that revenue has to be owned by a single leader and where you have everyone, you know, marching to the beat of the same drum, that's where you're able to break those silos between marketing and sales and actually have them to collaborate. And when there's a good relationship there, like that is really where you can do amazing things. Yeah, it's where the magic happens. So what are some best best practices that you've seen to assure alignment between the marketing and sales teams? So number one is goals. Number two is planning. So when it comes to goals, the goals have to be aligned. We all have to be focused on the same things. What marketing should be driving to should be the things that sales is trying to sell. And so in terms of individual comp and incentives is really important that those things are aligned as well as overall business objectives and how each team supports the business goals. And then the second piece of that is planning. Once we have the same goals, if we align ourselves on planning, you know, if sales says, hey, in Q3, we're really going to be heavily focused on this industry or pushing this product or, you know, getting more revenue out of our current customers, then the marketing team's initiatives for that quarter should align. They should be focused on that vertical, or it may be, you know, depending on the sales cycle, it may be in Q2 that marketing needs to double down on what sales is going to focus on in Q3. And so that way there's, you know, this influx of potential, you know, whether they're leads or or just identifying where sales should focus, it creates that alignment. And so those are really the two places. If we can set goals that are aligned and we can have conversations and plan together that's when you really get that that seamless, you know, back and forth of here's where marketing owns it, here's where sales owns it, here's where we're going to pass it back and forth if, you know, things don't head straight to close. Yeah, I, one of the biggest challenges that I've had and I haven't well, I spent a little bit of time in marketing. I spent the first 2 10 years of my career working for an advertising agency mostly in a marketing client services role but then pivoted to sales, but yeah, where I see a lot of the disconnect happen, I'd be interested in your perspective on this is is around messaging, right? Like there just seems to be, um, you know, and and then who drives that that messaging, right? Does it come from marketing, or does it come from sales, or should it come from both? Um, honestly, to me, it comes from product and where they sit uh, can vary company to company. So in a lot of cases, product marketing folks, you know, live in the product team. In some cases, product marketing lives on the marketing team, but someone at the product level has to own what the messaging is, what the positioning, the market differentiator, like someone has to own that conversation. And that's not the person that's executing the marketing campaigns. It's not the demand generation team, you know, and that's also not the sales team. Like sales is going to sell what you give them. Um, And so someone has to actually own that. And that's where I see a bit of a gap because in some places, both teams are just making it up. Like marketing says, well, here's what we think we should talk about. And sales is like, well, here's what I'm hearing in the marketplace or what I'm hearing from prospects. 
Um, And so again, that revenue team really has to have all the components and there has to be a representation from product. Um, And, you know, even a step deeper is, you know, that message also should drive the product roadmap uh, Mm -hmm. because, you know, and there has to be a feedback loop. What is sales hearing when they're going into opportunities? What are the objections that they are getting? Why are we losing deals? That stuff has to get back to the product team. How marketing, you know, which ads are getting the most clicks? Which content is being read the most? Like all of that should also make its way back to product so that product can really understand, like, what is the market asking for? Yeah. One of the things I'd be interested in hearing what your new trends that you're seeing, you know, the the um, pandemic certainly blew up, you know, everything in terms of the way that we go to market. I know, you know, the company that I work for really had to completely reinvent ourselves in terms of messaging and overall marketing and sales strategy. So what are you seeing in the in the market right now in terms of multi-channel lead generation and and the messaging coming from from marketing around that? So one of the biggest shifts that I've seen as a part of COVID is people have had to cut the crap. Uh, a lot of the you know fluffy messaging and buzzwords, I think because life for people was so intense, I think people's BS meter was kind of, you know, at a place where it was just like, we don't want to hear all that. Yeah. It's like, I'm over it. Yeah. And (laughs) so it was just, you know, it was kind of like, I got all these other things to worry about. Like, just tell me what I need to know. And I think as a result of that, you are seeing companies that are getting it right, I should say, because there are still some people doing it, you know, the old way. But companies who are getting it right really are cutting through the fluff and trying to articulate, this is the problem we solve and here's how we do it better than anyone else. Um, When it comes to like the tactics and the channels, I mean, I think, you know, multi-channel has been key for a very long time. I think without having in-person events, without having field sales able to you know, wine and dine and, you know, do those, uh, you know, the golf events and all those sorts of things. I think that it has just changed the channels that are in the mix, but not the need for the mix. Um, And people have gotten more creative, you know, in the past two years, I've been to some amazing virtual events that, you know, some of which I actually found more effective in getting to know the people that were there or getting to know the solution of, you know, whatever vendor, then had they taken me out to dinner or, you know, those sort of things. So I'm not seeing any, like every industry is a little bit different, um, you know, every business size as a term in terms of what channels are being used, um, but multi-channel, and, you know, just kind of switching up the variety of being where your prospects and customers are, like that's still consistent, you know, pre and during COVID. What are your thoughts about video? I love video. Um, <laughs> I, you know, video humanizes things a lot. Um, and one thing, you know, one outcome of, you know, everything that's happened the past couple of years that I am thankful for is there is less pressure for video to be perfect. 
and more around video being human. Uh, And I think that is the real opportunity is to have a conversation, even, you know, if it's one-sided because you're, you know, recording a video that gets through to the pain point and the need in a way that other content can't. Um, So I'm really thankful to see less of the, you know, high budget animated take six months to develop videos and more of the, you know, you got a guy sitting in his home office talking about, you know, how their solution helped one of their customers and it feels a lot more relatable. So I'm a fan of video. I use it a lot in both formal and informal ways. um, And I'm hoping that that trend stays. Yeah, we're beginning to evaluate how to how to use it. I got to tell you, I just started a TikTok if talking about unnatural. Oh, my gosh. But I'm getting more confident. I'm getting more confident. It's just not something I've been used to. So I'm actually glad that it's trending away from perfection because as a recovering perfectionist, it was really hard for me. It's like, okay, take number 275, right? (laughs) (laughs) And that's like, I don't have to be perfect. And my editor's like, just talk and then I'll cut it all up for you and make you sound good. I'm like, perfect. I'm in. Yep. (laughs) Right. So listen, let me, I'm going to completely shift gears on you. Um, You know, one of the things that, you know, Girls Who Sell is obviously about democratizing sales. There's a huge uh, gender gap in in professional sales, but not so much in marketing, right? Um, Marketing, you know, trends more, more female. Why do you think that is? Um. You know, so if you think about it, early stages of marketing, marketing was deemed the make it pretty people. Like, you know, it was like marketing was all around design and brand and things that were more artsy in nature. And those are fields that historically women have gravitated towards. Um, And so, That is why I think you've, you know, had that heavy female dominance in marketing is it is just, it's one of those things that, you know, as a young girl exploring careers, like marketing was in the list of, you know, top 20 things that you might want to do as a woman. Um, And so the fact that it just had more of a presence is why I think it started off that way. Um, whereas if you think about sales historically, like even, you know, going all the way back to the door-to-door vacuum sales, you know, people, it was mostly men Mm -hmm. and, you know, deals are made on the golf course or, you know, over drinking beers with the guys. Like it just, it really is one of those things that, you know, sales, especially you think about like car sales and, you know, there's a lot of, um, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like salespeople are manipulators because that's that's not what I want to say. But there is, you know, there is that factor of like being almost like a smooth talker. If you think about early sales, like guy shows up at your door with this vacuum cleaner, you know, they smooth talk their way inside, you know, they're talking to the wife about, you know, all the gender roles that women, you know, once held. Like, so if you go way, way back in history, like that's just kind of what it was. And I think that those kind of norms have carried on a lot. 
Um, and we're now, you know, thankfully in an era where we're seeing all those gender norms broken and you're seeing more women in sales, more men in marketing, you know, more, uh, you know, non-binary people who are openly non-binary. Um, and so those gender roles and gender norms are you know, really taking a backseat finally, uh, seemingly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, you started out the conversation talking a bit more about how sales and marketing is blending more together. And so I think that's important to start breaking down those biases and the, I think the misperception of what sales sales is because, you know, I don't know, now marketers sort of need to straddle the fence into sales and vice versa, right? Yeah. And the other thing, so I was just um, not too long ago, I was on a panel discussion around, you know, women in the workplace and how their careers have grown. And one of my co-panelists made a statement that really stuck with me. Um, she's in a CMO role and, you know, she was talking to her husband about, you know, leadership and being one of the only women at the table. And, you know, his advice to her was, you know, yes, you are the only woman in the room, but don't try to be a man leader, like lead like you. And that like really stuck with me because, you know, thinking about my career and other women that I've talked to about their career growth, quite often when you're in a room dominated by men, you start to try to behave like them and do the things like them. And I can even remember early in my career taking golf lessons because it was, you know, you heard all the deals are made on the golf courses, promotions happen on the golf courses. And so I was like, well, that means I got to learn how to play golf. And, you know, I was okay at it, but I didn't love it. And I think about how many women go to this thing and, you know, try to drink beers with the guys or, you know, do this other thing because they want to be in the room. And it's actually not necessary. Like women who are in the sales profession can own the sales profession in an authentic way. And, you know, maybe they connect with other women in the sales profession, or, you know, there's men who don't like golf or don't like drinking beer. Um, you know, and the, the example that was given was she was talking to uh, women in sales who they were like, you know, we'd like to like go for a walk along the river as a group. And so she was like, well, do that. And there may be some men or some non-binary people who want to go for a walk by the river too. Like you can forge your own path. You don't have to try to do it like men just because that industry has been predominantly, you know, dominated by men. Yeah. I, I, I went the, down the golf lesson path myself early on, because that's exactly what I heard deals. And my father encouraged that, right? Like you've got to learn how to play golf because that's where deals get done. And I'm like, but I, one, I suck at golf and two, I just hate it. Right. So I better find a different way, but it was, and, and even today there are books out there that, you know, encourage women to be more like man, men. And I am, I just did a whole series of videos actually about this saying, no, you know, when I tried to do that, it was felt so inauthentic uh, and I was less effective. And then I realized 
that leveraging my innate skill set and femininity as a woman was actually my competitive differentiator, particularly in a room full of men. And so, yes. you know what I mean? It's like, I don't have to be like you. I don't even want to be like you. I'll just, you know, let's, I'm just going to be me. And, and that's really when I, when I came to terms with that, just sales started to take off, right? Yeah. Cause if we look at studies, you know, the research says that like men prefer to buy from women and women prefer to buy from women. So it's like, how did men become the dominant uh, gender in sales? Like it just, it seems very uh, inconsistent with what people actually want. Um, and you are right. I mean, women, um, you know, again, research says women come across more trustworthy. People want to buy from someone they feel they can trust. You know, all these things actually lend well to women being effective in sales. Um, and so it is about being authentic, owning that, understanding that you don't have to be a part of every conversation. You don't have to be at everything the guys are doing. Like you don't have to fall into those, you know, traps just because that's what everyone else is doing. Like you can be just as effective or even more effective just being who you are. Yeah, one one of the best SKOs I ever attended instead of, well, they still did the golf event, but one night, um, the team building event that they did is they rented out a kitchen in an Italian restaurant uh, on their, it was, the, the restaurant was closed. And so we were able to come in and take the kitchen. We broke into teams and did Italian cooking and drink wine. And I got to tell you, even today, I remember that as one of the best team building things, the events that I've ever been to, just because it was just not, everybody loved it, right? Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, it goes, you know, inclusivity is so important um, when it comes to the great or the small and something like that is inclusive to all. Because I mean, you think about playing golf, if you have physical limitations, like, you know, it's like there, there's a challenge there. So that's kind of the other piece of things where it's like, it's not your typical guy thing, but then it also becomes more inclusive of all of the other situations that, you know, people don't always think about uh, that are also so important. I mean, you know, someone in a wheelchair could be just as effective at selling as, you know, someone who's not. So having more inclusive team building allows you to actually build a team. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. It's, it's almost inherently biased, right? Just by, by, na by nature of the event itself. Um, yeah, I think um, that's, that's really interesting. The other thing that I found once I gave up trying to be, you know, like a man was also my competitive differentiator was to really become an expert at my field or the product or service that I was selling. Because a lot of those things are just about schmoozing and who you know and how you know is like, oh, you know, schmoozing around. But um, once you take that out of the mix, you're forced to really become good at, good at what you do. 
<laughs> yes. And that's one thing that COVID has shown because you're not able to do that. And you have, I have seen some salespeople who really did struggle through the pandemic because their go-to was relationship and smoothing. And yeah. when you take that out of the mix, it gets a little harder. Yeah, it does get harder. So uh, talk to me about your new podcast coming out. Yes, really excited. Uh, It is called Revenue Rehab. Um, And so Revenue Rehab is the one-stop destination for collective solutions to the biggest challenges that marketing leaders face. And so it's like therapy, but for marketers. Uh, And so it really is open, transparent conversations with CMOs and heads of marketing uh, to really tackle what it means to do the job. You know, being the head of marketing is a tough gig. And, you know, it's constantly changing. The CMO has one of the shortest tenures in the C-suite. And so it really is a way for marketing leaders to come together to talk through challenges, you know, make sure we've got takeaways so that we all have something that we can implement right away. Um, So it's been a few years in the making, finally pulled trigger and got it going. Um, So revenuerehab.live is where uh, everything is posted and it airs weekly. Oh, that sounds great. Well, I wish you the most amount of success with that. I'm sure it's going to be incredible. And then if anyone wants to get a hold of you specifically, how might they do that? Uh, You can always find me on LinkedIn, Brandy Star. I'm usually the first one to come up, uh, or you can reach me at tegrota.com. And we've got our chat and our forms, and those will all make their way to me. Awesome. Brandy, thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Take care. Talk soon. You too. Bye.